You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Monday, May 3rd, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the BBC headlines, have we oversimplified the factors driving so-called vaccine hesitancy? The California report suggests that could very well be the case. Then, National Native News reports on the steps taken by the Oneida Nation in the aftermath of a weekend casino shooting in Wisconsin. And after a roundup of regional news and weather, we take a walk in the park with Sid Brown. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. Four people are dead after a 40-foot cabin cruiser suspected of being part of a human smuggling operation crashed and overturned yesterday in the waters off of Point Loma in San Diego. The boat was packed with almost 30 people and crashed and broke apart near Cabrillo National Monument. Here's San Diego Lifeguard Lieutenant Rick Romero describing the injuries of those aboard the boat. They range from just hypothermia, uh, and others just from uh, injuries caused by the breaking of the vessel. I uh, can't confirm uh, how many people had serious injuries, but uh, a wide variety of, uh, of injuries. Jeffrey Stevenson with Customs and Border Protection says all signs point to the boat being used to smuggle people illegally into the country. He says these smuggling vessels are often not equipped to handle rough conditions. They don't care about the people they're exploiting. All they care about is profit. Uh, to them, these people are just commodities, so uh, and you can see that in the way they, they treat them. Uh, inadequate safety equipment, uh, really poorly uh, equipped vessels. You know, sometimes they'll give them uh, flotation devices and, and life jackets. The suspected operator is being questioned by Border Patrol agents. And this happened on a weekend when Border Patrol and partner agencies were ramping up efforts to stop smuggling efforts off the coast of San Diego. Well, several large COVID-19 vaccination sites across the state are set to wind down operations by the end of this month. That includes the mass vaccination hub at Moscone Center in San Francisco, which plans to close May 28th after completing appointments for people getting their second shot. Late last week, the city of Los Angeles announced plans to wind down operations by the end of May at Dodger Stadium, one of the largest vaccination sites in the country. As demand for COVID-19 vaccines has slowed in recent weeks, many cities and counties across the state have begun shifting gears, focusing more on mobile vaccination sites to get doses to people who haven't been vaccinated yet. Well, in the Central Valley, the Fresno County Department of Public Health is diverting COVID-19 vaccines allocated to that county elsewhere because of low demand. The California Report's Central Valley reporter Alex Hall has more on why some are unsure about the vaccine and what public health experts say can be done about it. 31-year-old Celia Maldonado has made three appointments to get the COVID-19 vaccine since late March, and she's canceled every single one of them, which she feels guilty about. I feel like there's no clear answer to my concerns. It's driving me crazy. Those concerns predate the Johnson & Johnson pause, she says, and include fears about the lack of data on long-term side effects, especially when it comes to pregnant women who get the vaccine. Although the CDC says there is no evidence getting vaccinated causes problems with pregnancy. I just fear that unknown. I know this can happen to me if I get COVID. 
I don't know exactly what can happen to me from getting this vaccine. She feels ashamed to bring up those doubts and fears to friends who have already gotten vaccinated. And she says she doesn't fall into the categories typically associated with vaccine hesitancy. I was listening to NPR the other day and there was a report like, oh, the people who are not vaccinated are right-wing evangelicals and this and this and that. And of course, they put Latino people in there. And I'm like, well, that's the group of people I'm in. But I'm not by any means a Trumpist. I am a liberal. I feel like I should be on the side of getting a vaccine, but I'm just not. The Central Valley is home to some of the least vaccinated counties in the state. That includes Fresno, where Maldonado lives. In an effort to get more people vaccinated, local health officials here are now focusing education and outreach in neighborhoods where people haven't gotten a shot. We do this a lot, right? We want to make, we want to find patterns. Dr. Rishi Goyle of Columbia University is leading a team that's looking at the language around vaccine hesitancy on social media and online forums to figure out what drives it. He says he's suspicious of survey data that looks simply at demographics because it oversimplifies the problem. There are Somali immigrants in Minnesota that are vaccine hesitant, right? There are rural GOP populations that are hesitant. There are left-leaning natural healing aficionados that are vaccine hesitant. And I think the one-size-fits-all or the blaming one group for the phenomenon will end up kind of putting us in the problem that we're in, where we don't know how to tackle the problem because we don't even understand it. I really hate the term vaccine hesitancy. Dr. Kirsten Bibbins-Domingo of UCSF says that labeling racial groups or people with certain political ideologies as hesitant doesn't explain people's specific concerns or how to address them. In the end, I think most of the people who we put that label on are people who want to get their questions answered, right? And I think it is a little bit of a cop-out for us to label people as hesitant when all of the issues we're talking about are ones that we in public health should be working harder to think about overcoming. What healthcare providers can do, says Dr. Lisa Rosenbaum, a cardiologist and assistant professor at Harvard who has studied COVID-19 vaccine hesitancy, is hear people out answer their questions. It's just so intuitive to us when you're trying to convince people to do something to craft a message. The real work has to be done on the ground, talking to people, making them feel heard, making them feel understood. And I don't think any messaging campaign can overcome that. Especially to reach people like Maldonado, for whom a change in messaging won't necessarily have an impact, only more data and to get their time to see the COVID-19 vaccines are safe. For The California Report, I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. Support for The California Report comes from Paint Care, now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. California Healthcare Foundation, ensuring the voices of Californians are heard in California's decisions about health care on the web at chcf.org voices. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food on the web at theschmidt.org. And finally, another bright spot in the fight against the coronavirus as L.A. County reported no new deaths related to COVID-19 yesterday. Health officials do warn this could be due to reporting delays on the weekend. 
but it's another positive step for our state's hardest hit county, which has seen nearly 24,000 COVID-related deaths so far. LA County is expected to move into the less restrictive yellow tier for reopening this week. And that is the California Report for this Monday, May 3rd. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thanks so much for listening. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The United Nation in Wisconsin is offering services for casino employees who may need to speak with a counselor as the tribe and surrounding community recovers from a deadly shooting. On Saturday night, shots were fired at a restaurant at the Oneida Casinos Hotel and Conference Center in Green Bay. Two people were killed, one injured, and the suspect was shot by police, according to the Brown County Sheriff's Office. Oneida Nation officials in a press conference Sunday expressed their sadness to the victims' families and are offering support to casino employees as a multi-jurisdictional investigation takes place. Chairman Tahasi Hill. We've done our best to pull together as the Oneida Business Committee and, and our senior management uh, to make sure that we're providing our employees uh, the best response we can at this time. And so again, we're just trying to make sure we have a balanced approach to uh, recovery from the situation, making sure we're taking care of uh, you know, physical health and safety, making sure uh, mental health is being taken care of and also uh, spiritual health. So we wanna make sure we continue to move forward with a, a balanced approach to recovery from this terrible situation. Vice Chairman Brandon Stevens says the tribe has received offers of support from federal leaders and the White House. As of Sunday, the tribe was still getting information about the shooting and coordinating efforts with employees. Stevens says the tribe will be evaluating its emergency response as previous active shooter training drills helped play a role in the incident. He says safety is of top concern. We wanted to make sure that our community, as well as the broader community, understand how United Nation handles the situation as a family, as a nation. And we want the broader, commu- broader community to understand that, that we will continue to do our best, our most possible um, resources will be uh, dedicated uh, to the recovery and long-term impacts, uh, not only to the families, but to the broader community as well. And we want to make sure that Northeast Wisconsin is safe, that we're working continually with the local agencies and municipalities that they understand that we need to work and continue to work together on incidents and to prevent incidents like this from happening. Investigators believe the shooting was targeted and not random. The sheriff's office is expected to provide updates Monday. The casino is closed as the investigation continues. Counseling services are being offered on-site with no appointment needed or telephone resources for anyone wanting to call from home. The Menominee Indian tribe has scored another legal victory in its fight against Canadian firm Aquila Resources and the company's plan to build the Back 40 mine on the Michigan-Wisconsin border. As Danielle Kading reports, a Michigan judge has sent the company's mining permit back for further review of the project's potential impacts on groundwater. Aquila wants to mine primarily gold and zinc from an open pit near the Menominee River. The permit is one of several needed for the project. The recent ruling is linked to a January decision by a Michigan administrative law judge who revoked a wetlands permit for the project. The judge found Aquila's groundwater model is not reliable enough to identify the mine's impacts on wetlands. Earth Justice Attorney Gussie Lord, who represents the tribe, says experts for the tribe and state found Aquila underestimated the mine's impacts to groundwater. The projections, for example, for groundwater levels were off by as much as 10 feet, um, which is, you know, makes a big difference for wetlands impacts, surface stream impacts. 
The recent ruling means an administrative law judge will reconsider testimony and evidence to determine whether the mining permit should be upheld or denied. Both Michigan environmental regulators and Aquila Resources declined to comment on the ruling. Menominee Tribal Chairman Gunnar Peters said in a statement that the tribe will not stop fighting until the water and sacred sites are protected for good. For National Native News, I'm Danielle Kading. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Center for Indigenous Cancer Research at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center, dedicated to cancer research, medicine, and cancer care for indigenous populations. A no-charge online risk assessment tool is available at roswellpark.org slash assessme. This reminder to get your COVID-19 vaccination is provided by the Association of American Indian Physicians and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention who support this show. Info at aaip.org or cdc.gov slash coronavirus. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Today, the Nevada County Public Health Department reported 47 new confirmed COVID-19 cases since Friday. 124 cases are active. For comparison, one week ago today, the previous weekend's metric was 35 cases. According to calculations from Ubinet.com, 72,767 vaccine doses have been administered to Nevada County residents, including both first and second doses. 32,817 Nevada County residents are fully vaccinated, which is a little over 39% of the county's residents aged 18 and older. The New York Times reported this afternoon that the Food and Drug Administration is preparing to authorize use of the Pfizer vaccine in adolescents 12 to 15 years old by early next week, according to federal officials familiar with the agency's plans. The authorization could come as early as this week. Ubinet.com reports that a private ceremony took place Sunday at Robinson Plaza in Nevada City to unveil the Remembrance Memorial, an art installation designed to honor the victims of COVID-19 in Nevada County. The memorial is a six-foot-high column woven of natural elements from Nevada County with a dedication inscribed on local granite. Manzanita rings engraved to honor each of the 75 lost community members hang from willow branches. The memorial will remain in Nevada City for six weeks before moving to the Truckee Community Recreation Center, downtown Grass Valley, and finally to the Rood Center. The memorial is open to the public, which is welcome to share memories, condolences, and obituaries of community members who died from COVID by going to the website nevadacountyremembers.com. This week, in the midst of critical fire conditions, the Nevada County Office of Emergency Services officially launches new zone-based technology designed to help expedite evacuations in case of fire and other emergencies. Residents can visit readynevadacounty.org slash knowyourzone to find the zone numbers for areas they frequent, including home, school, work, or residences of family and friends. For example, I tested the system by looking up KVMR's address. The name of KVMR's zone is NEV, N-E-V, hyphen E-284. In the event of a wildfire or other emergency, law enforcement and fire agencies issue evacuation warnings or evacuation orders noting the zone of the impacted areas. 
Authorities will use these zone names in Code Red and Nixle emergency alerts, media releases, and social media to quickly notify residents of areas that are under an evacuation warning or order. Emergency alerts will continue to be sent in the same manner as before. Zone details will also be part of the alerts, maps, and updates found on the Ready Nevada County dashboard that was much used during the Jones Fire last August. The Union newspaper in Grass Valley reports that the City Council in Nevada City has announced the approval of a contract with Ted Steck to serve as Interim Police Chief effective today. Steck comes to Nevada City as a retired police chief with almost 30 years of law enforcement experience, the past five as the police chief in Bishop. He has worked in both rural and urban areas, including the Sassoon City Police Department, the Red Bluff Police Department, as well as in Shasta County with the State Bureau of Investigation. In the weather for our region, warm and dry through midweek with cooler days late in the week. Critical fire weather conditions through Tuesday due to gusty winds and low humidity. Tonight in Nevada City and Grass Valley, clear with a low of 58 degrees. On Tuesday, sunny with a high of 80 degrees and a low near 60. In Truckee tonight, clear with a low near 35. Mostly sunny with a high of 73 and a low of 36. In Sacramento, clear tonight with a low of 59. Tuesday in Sacramento, mainly sunny with a high in the low 90s and a low of 56. Sid Brown has the latest from our treasured local state parks, including the introduction of garden rovers, to answer visitors' questions about the plants on the grounds of the Empire Mine. This is Sid Brown from Sierra Gold Parks Foundation. We are an organization, the nonprofit, that supports South Yuba River State Park, Empire Mine State Historic Park, and Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park here in western Nevada County. Well, it's been a pretty interesting week, a couple of weeks since I spoke to you last. We had Earth Day, and it was a beautiful day, and I've gotten to see some beautiful activities and changes that are coming to our local parks. Out at Empire Mine, the roses have begun to bloom. It is a very popular place for people to come from all over, not just our little area here in Nevada County, but I've been encountering people who come from oh, Sacramento and the Bay Area, Reno, and it's amazing the visitors that come into our park who have never been here before. So we're really seeing a surge in new visitors, which just warms, warms my heart. The news at Empire Mine State Historic Park right now is that we have garden rovers who are going to be on duty on Saturdays for the rest of the summer. They're available from 10 to 12 every Saturday out in the Historic Heritage Gardens, available to answer questions about the botanical collections at Empire Mine. You can tell our trail rovers by their bright gold vests, and they're out in the historic core at Empire Mine. At South Yuba River State Park, the Bridgeport Bridge is still under construction, and we still have some 
delays or challenges with getting to places that people want to go. But the visitor center or little museum, I believe, has started to be open at least on some hours in the middle of Saturdays. And we hope to expand the opening of that visitor center. You can walk there. The parking lot nearby is not open, but everything is close by. You can get down to the river as temperatures warm and you can hike the Point Defiance Trail, Buttermilk Bend Trail, and the South Yuba Trail that goes between Purden Crossing, Edwards Crossing, up North Bloomfield Road, and all the way to the town of Washington, if you go back and forth. So the South Yuba Trail is quite an amazing resource. Okay, Malakoff, the visitor center, is staffed from Thursday through Sunday, and the trails are getting better all the time. Trail crews have been out clearing trails and making the visibility and the paths and the safety even better than ever. Great trails that were written up recently in the Union by Mary West. She did not advise people, as I do, to access Malakoff Diggins from Tyler Foot Road off of Highway 49. I hate to get people on a rough road in unfamiliar circumstances, have a flat tire or something, and then it's a little bit difficult. So we do encourage people to access Malakoff Diggins State Park through Highway 49 from Nevada City, right on Tyler Foot and follow the signs to the park. It's about 15 miles from the Tyler Foot Highway 49 intersection. One thing of note that we take very, very seriously, especially now as the weather heats up, with record low snowpack and the rainfall at an almost all-time low, combined with the steep terrain of our river canyon, we are very concerned about fires here. And any campfires or debris burns can turn into a major disaster. So we really, really, really want to avoid people parking along the road that could interfere with emergency vehicles and access and response to fires or other emergencies. And we implore the public to help us keep our area safe. Fire in the River Canyon just do not mix. And we want to be able to access the River Canyon and the parks and not block the roads with our cars in our anticipation and um, enthusiasm to get to the river at the various locations. So please be advised that fire is an ever-present danger and it's getting worse and worse on our minds as, as time goes on as the summer extends. And also the water is still cold. So people are going to be tempted to go into the water. We really advise caution. Oh, and one other thing, we are very excited and supporting and collaborating with the South Yuba River Citizens League and their River Ambassadors Program. So that program is a program with state parks, the River Ambassadors and other volunteers stage themselves at Bridgeport and a Highway 49 bridge, and that will begin later in the summer where people are advised and provided information about safe recreating. Again, we encourage people to visit our parks, love our parks, take care of our parks. They are our backyard. They are our treasure. Please pack out your trash. Please no smoking, no glass, no alcohol. And remember that these parks are all of our heritage, and we want to be able to share them and keep them healthy in perpetuity for now and future generations. So thanks. Sid Brown is a member of the Board of Directors of the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation. 
More information can be found at sierragoldparksfoundation.org. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, it's Disability Wrap with Anna Acton and Carl Sigmund. They have a fascinating interview with public policy activist Dan Okenfuss of the Little People of America. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. KVMR gets support from Nevada County Public Health, coordinating with health care providers to distribute COVID-19 vaccines to Nevada County residents 16 and older. Details at mynevadacounty.com slash get vaccinated. Registration at myturn.ca.gov. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Enjoy your evening and stay safe.